Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening and welcome to Fun About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Isaac. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. All right, so welcome <laughs> to our 120th episode. That's right. It is Monday, May 18th. Sort of. We are pre-taping our interview today because we have a very special guest up here in New York on his way north and then back down south. He's from the south and Mary. So, welcome Scott Meyer <laughs> to Foment About It. Thanks, so we're Scott actually Meyer. at uh, Dirk the Norseman in Greenpoint. So you're an old friend of Chris Prouts, the head brewer here. And actually Chris did some time at Outer Banks where you were previously brewing. He certainly did some time. <laughs> he did some time. It sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like he so we're super excited to have you guys in the city for a short while and to be able to sit down with you. Um, so the funny thing is, is I, I never met you, but we looked you up last night or the other day when we found out we were going to do this interview, and you were previously the brewer at Outer Banks Brewing Company. That is correct. And back in 2007, I attended the World Beer Festival down in Raleigh-Durham area, and um, I actually wrote about it on my blog, which I used to, that was kind of the beginning of my blog. Um, what blog is that? My Life on Craft. Oh, hey. All right. (laughs) It's it's floundering right now. Um, But uh, the two beers that you brewed for that, the Compass Rose, which is a rosemary brown, and the lemongrass wheat were two of my favorite beers of the whole event, and I actually specifically wrote that. So I can still remember that, that Compass Rose, rosemary brown. And that actually inspired me to to homebrew a Belgian brown with rosemary. And we served for our friend's wedding, uh, uh, Haley and Stephen Jensen. We made a rosemary brown, Belgian brown, and it was awesome and really well received. And I didn't have a chance to have the Compass Rose, unfortunately, but but it was a really great thing. Yeah, and they're actually just moved from New York City to North Carolina. So it's a funny circle. (laughs) (laughs) But let's start by talking about what got you into fermentation and brewing. Well, it, it started a long time ago. I um, was interested in baking uh, when I was a kid, watching my mom's bake bread in the kitchen and watching the dough rising, and that was fascinating to me. And um, we would buy apple juice from an apple orchard up in uh, Julian, near San Diego, where I grew up, and uh, bring it home, and a week later it would start fizzing. So getting fermented, and, and I loved it that way. It just tasted better. It was a little zippy, you know, really exciting. And then there was another, there was a winery nearby too, which um, the Ferrero Winery in Escondido, which is where Stone Brewing is now. Um, and my mom would go out there and buy gallon jugs of this Italian, you know, winery, California Italian winery wine, old school stuff. And they would keep grape juice frozen and they would thaw it out throughout the season and I was like I was 10 years old at the time I think and and I would go up to the 
tasting bar and I taste through the wine, the, the grape juices <laughs> and I pick out my grape juice. So mom would go home with a case of wine and I go home with a case of grape juice. And like a week or two later, my grape juice was turning into wine. And so I was inadvertently a little junior wine. <laughs> and so all that sort of led to an interest in cooking. And uh, my first jobs out of high school were in restaurants, uh, prep cooking. And then I went into, and I was still baking all that time. Um, I got into baking bread. And that led to, uh, I I went to the California Culinary Academy in San Francisco out of high school, basically. And um, while I was there, I got into the wine program. And then from the wine program, I got into winemaking. Um, I was a cellar rat for for a uh, winery in uh, the Bay Area in Emeryville. It was the J.W. Morris Port Works. They were Are making, they still around? Um, yeah, there's some version of it still around. You know, when you go back that far, you you'll find that ownership changes <laughs> changes the direction. And I don't know. I think Trader Joe's probably owns them now. But um, they um, at the time they were making port and. Uh, really good port. I, w- I went to Portugal and met some of the winemakers there, and they all knew about us, which at that time I think there were three or four uh, port wineries. Quadis, I think the only real survivor that's still around from those days. But uh, So I was making wine and then traveling around Europe, and I came back to um, California and went to uh, Santa Barbara and got a wine-making job there. A little winery called Rancho Sisquoc, and then I made some wine for Jake Carey Cellars, and then I did a crush at Wild Horse, and then I came to the Bay Area, sold wine and spirits for a distributor there for a few years. And that during that time, I noticed that the beer uh, renaissance was just starting to take off in the Bay Area. And they were actually moving in on my my turf. I mean, I was selling less wine. They were selling, my restaurants were selling more craft beer. And I was interested in it um, because it was a lot like baking in a way. Um, there's, you know, It was a faster turnover than wine. I don't have anything against wine. I love winemaking. Um, and it's, it's beautiful because of its seasons and, and changes throughout the year and expect, expected changes from year to year. Um, but in brewing, You've got results in a matter of two or three weeks. You can see where you've been, and so the learning curve is very rapid. And I can, you know, I can say I've probably done over a thousand fermentations, probably more than that. Um, <laughs> sure. And in winemaking, you know, it took a lot of years to get that much experience. So that comes to that, and uh, I've been brewing for a number of years. Brewed it. Um, Bison Brewing Company. So that's where you started Um, in California? Started in California there, and then uh, one year at Triple Rock. With Daniel Grand. And then, yeah, you know Daniel Grand? Yeah, he was one of my teachers at the American Brewers Guild, actually. Oh, really? He's a fantastic guy. He he, he taught the engineering course. Well, I'm still in touch with him. He's fantastic, yeah. Um, And I run into him from time to time. And it's amazing that Bison has become now a national brand. but again, through you know the, the, the weird permutations of, of ownership changes yeah, and, and sure. so on and so forth. Um, but um, so I brewed there, and then I came out to uh, North Carolina and 
started the uh, Outer Banks Brewing Station. So I was there on a three-year contract that I fulfilled 14 years of. Wow. <laughs> and uh, during that, all this time, I've been brewing these elixirs, um, which are basically fermented spices. Um, it started with uh, the discovery of a sorrel drink at a Jamaican diner in Oakland. And I just fell in love with the drink. It's delicious um, infusion of hibiscus and ginger, cinnamon, cloves, allspice, and star anise are the primary ingredients that go into sorrel drink. And in Jamaica, they make, or at least at the Jamaican diner, they make it in a five-gallon bucket and um, serve it from underneath the counter <laughs> with a ladle. You know, and I love ginger beer, and they made really good ginger beer there too. Um, but then I saw this bright red stuff coming out. I'm like, yeah. I got I to gotta have me some of that. And it is so good. And I got really hooked on it. But because I like to ferment things, I started thinking along the lines of what would happen if I put yeast and sugar in here. Right. And actually, over the years, I've discovered that there's a little bit of sugar in the ginger and the hibiscus, too. In fact, in some years, uh, depending on the harvest, um, there may be enough sugar there to actually do a carbonation wow. um, I'm not so I what I started doing was thinking along more along the lines of getting it to be carbonated than to make an alcoholic beverage um, I just talked to somebody yesterday who's starting an alcoholic ginger beer business and you know that's interesting um, but I was thinking along the lines of something more of a soft drink right and, um, and realizing that it doesn't take a lot of fermentation to make bubbles. And as we've been thinking about the soft drinks that we drink and talking to friends and asking them what their thoughts are, it seems that a lot of people don't want it to be over... One of the complaints about soda is that it's overcarbonated and it's too sweet. Mm-hmm. So we're striving for, you know, a low level of carbonation, just that little effervescence. It sort of reminds me of those ciders and those zippy grape juices that were turning into wine <laughs> right, right. as they it started to get that there. little bit of spritz and and one of the most wonderful things I've ever drank in my life is um, is must um, when you're working in a winery you have opportunity to taste must it's like fermenting grape juice mm-hmm. and there's something about that that's sweet fresh and just starting to turn carbonation that, that um, fizz from the yeast and that's what we're going for here with this stuff. So making sorrel drink and then adding yeast and sugar and fermenting it, um, discovering sometimes there's already enough sugar there, um, we started thinking along other lines. We're thinking, well, there's other beverages around the world. Um, and, you know, in Romania they make something from elderberries. And, and you were talking about something that sounds like from Japan that's made from uh, jasmine and green tea. And, you know, there's so many interesting beverages all over the world already. And here was one of them that we picked out. And so we were thinking, well, where do we go from here? And we've got ideas, and uh, they come along kind of slowly as we keep working through all the various problems that we come up against um, to produce this stuff and actually get it in a bottle and get it stable. Yeah. um, And then get it you know, get labels made, get yeah. developed the marketing, now we're developing a business plan. 
and wow, you know, that'll slow you down. <laughs> it's not like home brewing where you can just, you know, pick up and go. And so we're slowly evolving new flavors and new ideas. And the project is called Planetary Elixirs, yep. right? The brand is Planetary Elixirs, and our parent company is Meyercraft, which is me. Hey, that's your name. That's <laughs> my coincidence. It is. Um, the sorrel. Let's go back. What is sorrel? So you, so well, you call it you the call Jamaica it? Roselle, right? Right. Yeah. Um, well, sorrel is is a confusing term, and that's why I don't use it on the label, um, because to much of the world, sorrel is a little is a leafy green weed, um, essentially. Right? Yeah, it, yeah, and it's used in French cooking. I, I'm, I'm aware of that, and it's a popular uh, uh, cooking ingredient. Um, but that's not what this sorrel is. Uh, in Jamaica, sorrel is hibiscus, and hibiscus is a completely different plant. Uh, it grows about eight, seven or eight feet tall, uh, ripens in the wintertime, and produces these beautiful hibiscus flowers. And then the part that is harvested is actually the, um, the calxes, which is the, the base of the flower. There's, a, there's these heavy petals that hold the flower structure. And um, they harvest that, and it's full of uh, vitamin C, and and it's super tart, really bright red, and it's um, served as a Christmas uh, drink in Jamaica. And a lot of times they they'll mix rum in that, and um, that's a traditional uh, Christmas drink. And it's, then in Mexico, which is I think I found it. I don't know. I've had it at Jamaica, but mm-hmm. you know joints here in New York City, but we often more find it um, called, fresca. yeah, Jamaica called Jamaica, or Jamaica. In Mexi- yeah. yeah, and that's the Mexican version, and, yeah. and a Mexican version is is a little bit lighter, a little less complex, not as spicy as right. the Jamaican version, um, but it's very similar, uh, and you know, it's got that bright red color, and it's a really beautiful beverage, um, yeah. But- when using Jamaica or brewing with Jamaica or getting the flavor from Jamaica or sorrel, uh, is it best fresh and, and, and where there's still moisture content in it? Or is, is dry work? Or what, what are the differences with it? Dry How is the only, only kind I've ever used. Okay. Um, fresh is only available where hibiscus is grown. Right. And I believe they can grow it in, in Florida. But... Other than that, it's not grown in the United States. It's grown all over the Caribbean. It's grown all over the world. Um, we call it Roselle. We call it Jamaica Roselle is the, is the brand, or the name of the product that we're selling. Okay. And Roselle is, I believe, the Australian term. Oh. But it's grown all over the world um, with various names, like a lot of herbs and spices are. And like a lot of like herbs and spices and fish and other things, you know, they'll have the same name for totally different yeah. <laughs> um, things, and that makes it confusing. And this gets back to kind of the marketing thinking behind this. Like, I, I didn't want to sell it as sorrel because half the world will think of some green, you know, leafy sure. uh, herb. So. Yeah. On that note, we're going to take a bit break. We'll be right back with Scott Meyer from Planetary Elixirs. I'm mad about it.
1996, El Knife and Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Welcome back to episode 120 of Foment About It. We're here in the studio, not the studio. <laughs> We're here at Dorothy Norseman in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, with Scott Meyer of Planetary Elixirs in Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina. All right, so you have just started this Planetary Elixirs, so it's a na- basically kind of a natural soda company mm-hmm. in, in the most awesome way. So Scott just poured us um, two of your beverages, the Jamaica... Roselle. You say Jamaica Roselle or Jamaica Roselle? I call it Jamaica, Jamaica Roselle. Roselle. And then, um, which is a hibiscus or Jamaica or sorrel, depending what, where, what, what area of the world you're in, uh, beverage. And then you also poured us the Thai Thai. So that's T-H-A-I-T-I-E. And that is lemongrass, basil, lime, ginger, and mint. And man, these are both delicious. So I would love to talk to you about how did you, I'm always curious to see how people develop you know, their, the beverage, especially with something complex like this that hasn't really been done. So how did you uh, develop the, the Jamaica Roselle? The Jamaica Roselle was not that difficult because there's already a sorrel drink out mm-hmm. there. And so I, you can find recipes for sorrel drink. And we started trying them out and then tweaking them and making them how we like it. And then the only difference is that I started adding sugar and yeast and developing a fermentation and just enough to give it a little bit of uh, carbonation not a huge amount um, and it yields about 0.3% alcohol which is technically non-alcoholic yeah. you'd have to drink a case of it to get the buzz of one beer <laughs> yeah. you know so, so good that's easy to do I think <laughs> well it might be but uh, it'll slow you down at least yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it actually keeps us out of um, you know, out of the alcohol laws and sure. taxes. Yeah. So we are able to sell it as a soft drink, and um, we uh, developed it piece by piece. You know, five gallons at a time. Um, trying this, and trying that. Um, for a while, I was thinking it would be fun to, you know, ferment it on the skins, like like making a red wine and doing extended maceration and. And I discovered that that was just sucking the, the color right out of it. And, Interesting. And it would end up being kind of astringent and harsh. And then um, we're playing around with roasting the spices and not roasting the spices and, and doing it a you know, light roast versus a heavier roast and different times of you know, steeping the, the spices. Um, to figure it all out because nobody's done this really so uh, quite the way we're doing it although 
I'm sure that if I go to Jamaica, they would tell me that I have to make, <laughs> make it with fresh uh, hibiscus, and that's only available in the wintertime. So there's certain practical considerations. If you're starting a business like this, you kind of want to have the product all year round if you can. Yeah. And I know that hibiscus can come up uh, short um, supply in the summertime, so I have to be planning ahead, you know, and, and think about that. And right now, I don't know where, you know, where we're going to be in September, so right. I might not have enough. Uh, but then again, there is the south, uh, the southern hemisphere, and so and I know that they grow it in Australia, so I may be able to get that in the summer and, and get the Jamaican. Or we're get, we're actually getting our sorrel from North Africa. Okay, interesting. Um, the um, Egypt is where our current source is coming from. But because of the nature of this business and, and, and the way that we're um, approaching it, we're we're not too worried about it being rigidly consistent from batch to batch. Um, we're still learning as we go along, and willing to make mistakes in order to learn to make better product you know down the road um, I think this current batch is a little under roasted in fact it's not roasted at all I, I started uh, questioning the very idea although some uh, excellent uh, Scandinavian chef by the name of Sven told me that I, I must roast my spices to bring out the flavors and I did and it, the flavors were great we had wonderful yeah. spicy flavors and then one day I'm roasting them, and I'm going, man, this room smells so good. And that's not getting into my product. Right. So I thought, well, okay, um, let's, you know, let's, let's look into this. And I went online, and sure enough, there was some food blogger who was railing against the practice of roasting spices. And she explained that it was a, a misconception uh, that had come from India, where you know, they, they have to roast their spices in order to just grind them. And uh, I thought, oh, okay, that makes sense to me. And I, and I don't roast it, and I'm not getting as spicy a flavor right. in this batch. Now, this has some other nice qualities because mm -hmm. of some other experiments that I've been doing with enzymes to bring out flavors. And so I'm getting positive qualities. From, I'm doing, the, I'm doing the, the, the cardinal sin of doing two experiments at the same time <laughs> with the same batch. And I'm getting positive results from one and negative results from the other but you know that's just the nature of it and and because it's an artisanal product I think people understand that you know it's not always going to be exactly the same because we don't know if I set it in stone and said you know this is how we're going to do it well maybe in five or ten years I can do that you know once I figure everything out right. but you know in truth actually from winemaking and brewing background that I have, I know that you never figure it all out. It, every year is different, and your harvest is going to be different. Right. Your, your, the quality of the products is going to be different. We've been finding sugar levels are different. In the hibiscus and the uh, ginger in particular, um, there's some sugar there. And, and that's why I coined the term uh, microbotanical fermentation um, <laughs> to describe you know what that is. Yeah. Um, I recently learned at a distillery up in uh, Asheville that they're doing a product that's for, uh, I believe, the Chinese market, where they're fermenting tea 
on just the sugar that's in the tea, and they're not adding any sugar at all, and then they're distilling it, and it goes for like 500 bucks a bottle in China. Wow. And so <laughs> that's a specialty that I'd never heard of, yeah. but, you know, I, years ago I discovered that on my own, that, you know, in these botanical ingredients you find some sugars. Now that's not enough to rely on, so there is good old uh, cane sugar. Um, I mostly use cane sugar and I also use a little bit of honey. Um, doesn't take a lot of honey, but a little bit of honey in, uh, in a blend smooths things out, really melts a lot of flavors together. And then when you go just above that level, it seems to smear flavors and they get all muddy. So it's a, a delicate touch with honey. Um, you know, there's other sweeteners I could use. That I know that uh, Fentimins uh, is old, 110-year-old English soft drinks company mm -hmm. uh, that I admire a lot of their products. And um, they use a lot of fruit juices. Um, San Pellegrino uses a lot of fruit juices. That's something we haven't gotten into yet, but um, again, we've only released two products, so we've got other things we right. can play with. <laughs> and we've got other places and other ideas in mind. Um, our concept is, is cultural culinary concept, or, or traditions and concepts. So we can look around the world and see what's, you know, what's a traditional beverage and riff off of that. Or in the case of Tai Tai, we kind of well, there's a traditional lime drink in Thailand, but then, you know, there's these other flavors. There's lemongrass, and there's, we actually had galangal in there. We didn't put it on the front of the label. It's on the ingredient list. Which is a relative um, of ginger. It's a relative of ginger. Um, it's got an interesting aroma. It's, mm -hmm. it's um, a little bit like wintergreen, mm -hmm. I think. Um, but, uh, it, and then there's mint, and we learned that, boy, it doesn't take much mint. A little mint goes a long way, um, and then basil, and, and you know we were just thinking, well, what are great Thai ingredients? And it took a long time to figure out what proportion and what imagine. you know, because when you're in, you got six ingredients going, it starts to get a little complex. And, mm -hmm. But then the deeper I go into it, the deeper I go into it. And so now I've got two different species of lemongrass, you know, sourced from. One from Guatemala, the other from Indonesia, and, it, and it, it gets a lot of fun when you start getting into all these different, you know, spices and ingredients. Does the balance change when you scale up? Oh, it sure it does. Yeah. I mean, that it, it it undoubtedly it will, and that's again why I, you know take the I, I make the caveat it's going to change, right? <laughs> and, and let's just hope that the overall trend is toward the better every time I brew anything I learn yeah. um, and that's been my philosophy of brewing at the brewing station and bison has been just constant experimentation I, you know I, I, I've stated that you know if I brew it the same way twice that means I didn't learn anything the first time I wasn't paying attention right. you know I'm, I'm never completely satisfied I mean I might be <laughs> I might make customers happy and I might make judges happy even at, at competitions but that doesn't always make me happy because I, I always feel like ah, I could have done this or I could do that or yeah. there's another there's, there's so many different variables when it gets to fermentation 
which is yeah. why I'm sure you guys are fascinated with it. Yeah. Um, it's just there's there's just so many choices along the way, and everybody is going to make a different choice, and every day is going to be a different day. And every person changes too. So my oh, desires, wants, and needs from the beginning of the keg to the end of the keg is going to be different. So of course we're going to end up in a place where yeah. we want to do something different. Or <laughs> and your perception changes. Yes. Yeah. So oh, that, yeah, absolutely. that's another factor. Um, yeah, it, it amazes me when you open up. If you buy a case of wine and you open a bottle on one day, and then a few days later you open another bottle from the same case, and it tastes different. And is that what is that? Is that bottle variation, or is that, or is that barometric pressure changes, or is it the phase your of the palate? Or, yeah, you know what? <laughs> just like where you've been what, in two days. What accounts just for that? <laughs> so you know, there. Why well, take the mystery out of life? You yeah. know, let's just let's just go with it. Um, but we are striving to make the best quality stuff we can make, and it's um, it's absolutely delicious. Yeah. How much do you make at a time currently? Currently, we are a nano. Elixiry, mm-hmm. um, a gypsy nano elixir. We're, we're making it at uh, these batches were made at um, the Lost Colony Brewery in Manio, which has a two barrel system. Um, it's just great big stock pots that hold, you know, 75 gallons. Sure. And by the time you, you know, you make space for the spices and everything else. You, know, you get 60 gallons out of that 75 gallons, and then you ferment it. And then two to three weeks later, I'm racking it off the yeast into another fermenter. And these fermenters are 15-gallon kegs, you know, Sankey kegs that have been converted. You've had some fittings welded on them, and you've got, you know, pressure relief valve, and another valve for, pressure, for pressurizing the tank, mm-hmm. another one for the pressure gauge, and... Um, I load these things in the back of my truck. They're 175 pounds. Uh, try to get as much help as I can. <laughs> you know, I look yeah. around for some yeah. idle kid standing around. You know, <laughs> hey you. Um, but yeah, it's it's really difficult on that small scale. Um, we have an offer from a local brewery down in the Outer Banks to make our product on a little bigger scale once they get open, mm-hmm. which would be this summer, I hope. Um, and we're looking around for some other spaces uh, where we could maybe set up a more brick and mortar place to call home where we can produce our products and where we want to go from here is 10 to um, 20 barrels Mm -hmm. which would yield between 250 and 500 cases at a batch and that would make a lot more sense economically and, and in terms of labor and Sure. Effort. Right now, what it is is it's we're making um, two barrels, which is sixty gallons. That makes about fifty cases, and it's about the hardest fifty cases I've ever That's made. It's sure. really a lot of work. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, so where you guys are distributing only in North Carolina currently, and what? Moment, yeah. Where are you finding? You know, is. Where are you guys selling, I guess? Who's, who well, are you we, finding that buys? We in? released Jamaica Roselle two years ago, and um, they were in larger bottles. They were 500 mil bottles. I scaled it down to 375 because got a lot of feedback on that. But, you know, we rethought this whole thing over the last winter. Um, but we had eight accounts that we opened 
you know, supported by this two-barrel nano brewery. Um, and we had a few beer and wine shops, and they seemed to be the slowest movers. <laughs> and I think the reason is is because people go to a beer and wine shop to buy beer and wine. They don't yeah. go there to buy something else. Uh, gourmet grocery stores... Um, it's moved a lot faster because people are there with an open mind about like well what they're buying they're not yeah. there just to buy beer and wine they're there to buy you know crackers and cheese and deli meat and oh look at this what's this and they'll try something new and um, one of them uh, we uh, would go in periodically and taste people on it mm-hmm. of course we get a lot of sales off of that mm-hmm. uh, once people try it they either love it or they don't and if they love it they buy it um, that's been our experience. Um, the big surprise was a uh, was a health food store up in Asheville, um, the uh, French Broad Co-op, and they turned out to be our biggest market. and And they complained the loudest when we ran out of uh, product last summer. And um, it turns out that all these ingredients that I've been messing around with turn out to be really healthy. <laughs> and there's no preservatives. Um, we're pasteurizing it because there's sugar and yeast in the bottle. Yeah. And so that's a necessity. Um, otherwise, they would blow up. But the flavor's brought about by fermentation. And, um, and then it's uh, bottled and pasteurized. Um, and it's, we've, we've been selling it as a gourmet product. But we've been discovering that people that are interested in healthy foods are also interested in it. Um, so we're learning our market. Um, the other ex- area that we're exploring is the, um, the, uh, the trendy cocktail yes, market. that's exactly what I was going to ask that, you. <laughs> um, that has been blowing up all around. Um, I have a, my nephew is a bartender, and we've gotten together a couple times and experimented with things. And, and, and while... To make a Roselle is traditionally served with rum. With rum, yeah. Um, we found tequila worked even better yeah. because it has a more complexity, and the rum, I think, kind of dulls it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe a white rum would be good, but um, actually, tequila was a really good mix. Um, Thai Thai, we played around with that. We found uh, Plymouth Gin was a really gin good that. Sense mix to me. for that. Yeah. And just because of the ingredients, you know, it just made sense. And so that's been a lot of fun, kind of exploring those options. Um, another surprise for us was Prosecco. Uh, we mixed the uh, Jamaica Roselle with Prosecco. It's just delicious. Oh, man. Uh, you know, and that's a wine. That's a sparkling, you know, slightly sweet wine. I, I can see this Italy. as a perfect brunch beverage. It's a Prosecco. great brunch Absolutely. beverage. Yeah. It's, Jamaica yeah, Roselle. And, and, yeah, and it's pretty lookout, too. Yeah, so. absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. So those are the three areas that we've been exploring as, as markets. Cool. Well, I have to go back and ask about that the Compass Rose. Um, I, I want. When did you add the rosemary? I know that was a long time ago. You said that was a one-off, right? <laughs> Going back to Compass Rose, the rosemary brown. <laughs> but you've been do, you've been experimenting with herbs and spices in your beers All for long, a long time. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. From, from bison. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was. Uh, to, make, or to get back to the compass rose question, I, I believe we added it at the end of boil. The end of boil? Yeah. 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 And um, to bring out the flavors yeah. at the end of the boil and to kind of give it a short infusion. Yeah. 
Um, we didn't add it post-fermentation or anything like that. We attempted ours post-fermentation. We basically dry-hopped it with the rosemary, and we didn't get as much rosemary as we wanted. So it turned out that she had a rosemary tincture that we were able to to drop in there, which, yeah, of yeah. course, you can't do on a commercial or, you know, commercial go. It's illegal for us to, to do that with alcohol or right? so, but uh, Yeah, but you could use uh, you could use essential oils. Yeah, yeah. That. right. Um, yeah. We had an alcohol tincture. It was a... Right. right? It was a, yeah, it was a rosemary alcohol, vodka, basically. Yeah. Right. That I already had. I infused a bunch of vodkas just playing with herbs and spices, and I happened to have some rosemary. Yeah. <laughs> so we so used a little bit of that. it saved us to get that rosemary. Yeah. We didn't use yeah. very much, but it gave it a little bit of more aroma than right. we got with, yeah. Yeah, we do a lot of stuff with our, our elixirs with um, the um, simple syrup. Where we, oh, yeah. We sweeten it back up if we want to tweak it. We'll, yeah. We'll, uh, you know, infuse some spices in the simple syrup, and that brings out some flavors, too. Yeah, and you could do that if you were um, like uh, re-fermenting it, like in a, in a bottle condition or a sure. cast yeah. condition beer. Or you could even do it with if you did a beer and added, you know, a small portion of your fermentables as sugar. Then you could use a simple syrup, right? A, you know, an infused simple syrup. Right, and the alcohol in the beer will draw out some flavors, just like dry hop. Yeah, right. That's um, what we were expecting, and we're a little under on the rosemary. Yeah. Well. You have to keep learning. Yeah, exactly. Keep on going. Exactly. Don't yeah. give up. Don't yeah, give up. don't give up. And, and then, of course, next time you, you harvest uh, rosemary, it's going to be a different crop. That's so, right. Mm-hmm. You know, throw another variable in at you. <laughs> so are you working on a third? Yeah, we're working on a third and a fourth. Um, you know, they're not they're not there yet. We're, we're just taking one step at a time. Yeah. And it's a lot of work to do um, to develop the labels. Yeah, these are gorgeous labels. We're putting a lot of effort into that because I think that um, the imagery is really important to sell the product. Can't, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of stuff out there right now. There's a lot of beverages. And, um, so I think they have to look really sharp. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to get that first try, or else you're sunk. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> have you experimented with beer cocktails with either of these? I haven't. That's something we've, we've talked about on the show before, but I'm seeing a lot more, at like especially bars that are, well, in New York State, we have some bars that are just beer and wine because maybe they're too close to a school or a church or whatever. They can't get a hard liquor license, mm-hmm. um, or maybe they're in an oversaturated neighborhood. And so I've been seeing more of those bars that have beer cocktails instead of, you know, hard alcohol cocktails. Right. So that's why I was asking, because I think I can see, you know, like the Jamaica Roselle with a wheat beer or... Something oh, yeah. like that. I think yeah, those would yeah. also be fun. So. Well, I have, I have friends in Asheville that made a cask conditioned beer with Jamaican Roselle Ooh, in it. Sounds delicious. It sounded great. They didn't save me any when I got there. <laughs> <laughs> it was all drunk up by the time I got there. But, oh, well, we'll have to make another one. Yeah, definitely. Scott, thank you so much. We're so lucky to have uh, caught up with you on your travels. And uh, thank you for sharing this, this wonderful, magical stuff. And I hope that one day you will distribute to New York City yeah. so Mary and I can delight in it more. But uh, next time we'll, we're in we're North Carolina, we're planning a North Carolina trip sometime later summer or, or fall. So we'll definitely look you guys up. Yeah. If we get to the Outer Banks or at least look up the beverage. Absolutely. Tweet, well, we'll be we in hit, touch. So. Cool. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Foment about it. Foment about it. Foment about it. <laughs> Foment about it. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.